Welcome to Geek Catch-Up. I'm Kyle Eckert alongside Chris Heck. We're two lifelong friends with a passion for all things geek, whether it's gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. If it's nerdy, there's a good chance we're into it. You are listening to Chapter 10 of Season 1. Today, we're talking about Anthem, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, video game flops of 2019. Chris and I will reflect on our day one purchase, when we finally called it quits, and our experience when we decided to take a trip back to Fort Tarsus one year later. We'll also briefly discuss a few other titles that we and the Geek Catch-Up community thought fell flat on release day. Once again, before we get started here, Chris and I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to everyone that's been listening. We are beyond thrilled that you've enjoyed the show, and if you'd like to help us spread that joy, the best thing you can do is share us on social media and with your friends. Catch us on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Catch Up Pod, on Facebook, Geek Catch Up Podcast, and of course our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. Thank you so much, and remember to stay saucy. A little over a year ago, we heard the call and were prepared to sing the melody, the call of the anthem of creation. Developed by industry giants BioWare and published by Electronic Arts, Anthem was set to take the online multiplayer action RPG world by storm, giving players the ability to take control of customizable Iron Man-styled exosuits called Javelins. These freelancers would take to the skies and defend what was left of humanity from threats beyond the walls of their city. The game was set to integrate high-action gameplay with a compelling story and deep lore that BioWare had been known for. Then, on February 22, 2019, Anthem released and everyone was left wondering, is this it? Gamers and critics alike praised the gameplay and flight mechanics, but beyond the core combat, there was much to be desired. Chris and I were both day one players of Anthem. We both stayed committed to playing through the flaws as long as we could, but did eventually fold. Now, a year later, we decided to pick it back up and see how it went, but before we get there, let's start at the beginning, buying Anthem. Yeah, well, there was tons of hype for this game. I remember after the initial trailers dropped and the E3 reveals, everybody was was pretty excited about what was being shown. And that was, you know, what, a year or two at least before the, the release date that they started really showing some footage of the game. And everybody was just like, man, flying around as different versions of Iron Man? Yes, please. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> exactly. But it's kind of wild to think that with what happened in this game, according to Wikipedia, they started development for Anthem in 2012. Oh, wow. Seven years before, and then it ended up the way that it did. So they did a good job hyping it. And I remember, though, that even with the hype, we were all on the fence because there was still some weird mysteries, right? Usually a game this big, they've got the press going, they've got information on social media pumping about what the game's going to be what it's going to have and there really wasn't a whole lot of that for anthem there was a lot of question marks you know what what exactly was this game going to be what was the mission of the game was it going to be a long game or a very short game you know what was the content about they didn't release anything about the long-term dlc plan so at that point none of us had the game pre-order 
No, not at all. And it's interesting you talked about the anticipation for the game because Anthem was nominated for most anticipated game of the year in the 2018 Gamers Choice Awards. So the hype was there, but you're right. We didn't know what we were getting into. And I actually remember several conversations with you because you and a few others had been playing Destiny Mm -hmm. and experienced how rough Destiny was in the beginning and how it took six months or more to really iron out the kinks and get that game going. So I remember conversations around January. We kept saying, maybe let it come out in February and wait six months. Maybe we should see what happens by August and then make this purchase. Uh, But ultimately, uh, we we did end up getting it on release day. Well, because we got hoodwinked. So yeah. we all were, were now looking back on it, rightfully cautious about, <laughs> you know, what we were seeing. Because, you know, it doesn't happen with every game, but another kind of telltale sign that I've learned over the years about whether or not a game is in good shape when it comes out is whether or not they send it to the reviewers ahead of time. And none yeah. of IGN, Metacritic, like none of them were producing any sort of reviews ahead of time. They didn't have their hands on anything other than the demo. And so the, all the warning signs were there, and we should have just listened to our own advice because we were pretty spot on before ever playing the game. But really what happened was we were in Savannah for our buddy Barry's wedding, and that weekend they did the first open beta or, like, open demo. Right, yeah. And I had a little bit shorter drive coming back than you all did, so I got home kind of just in time at the tail end of Sunday to grab two or three hours playing the demo, and it was good. It was polished, operated well. You know, obviously it was only so much content, but just based on that, it really kind of changed the script. I remember I was the one that was like, man, this really feels like, okay, this could be legit. The combat was on point. You were able to see and feel the different javelins get an idea for the different armor loadouts you might be able to do, you know, and and it wasn't very buggy. (laughs) It didn't have any, (laughs) I won't say any, but it didn't have many technical issues. So then I think they did a second open beta weekend that you and Alex got to play on. I got in on the second beta weekend, for sure. So you you started feeling kind of similar to how I did after playing the first weekend, right? Oh, yeah, it gave you that taste, like you said, that gave you that core combat and just enough to be like, wow, okay, this game could be legit. It could be fun. This is something I could see myself playing long term because the promise was there that it was going to be, by this point in the beta, the promise was there that it was going to be a long term project mm-hmm. and all future DLC they had announced was going to be free. That's right. Yeah. And we were talking about how awesome that was because, you know, I've already spent hundreds of dollars in Destiny expansions and a lot of other games that are these long-term kind of software-as-a-service type games, right? They will hit you with $30 here, $20 there, whatever, as they expand. Yeah, and EA, who's not really been the best on microtransactions as a company, coming off of Battlefront and things like that, they had kind of made a whole switch. So that, that was another thing. I'm glad you brought that up. That was another thing that really was putting us over the edge of, of how positive this could have been. <laughs> Yeah, well, we like we said, the signs were there, the negatives were there, but once they started hitting you with these these two open betas and how well it played, yes, it had small glitches, but all of that could have been chalked up to a beta. Right. And I remember having that conversation, like the few glitches we saw, we kept writing them off as, oh, what well, is the beta? And you expect certain glitches in beta. And then, like I said, the DLC announcement came and we thought, all right, this is for real. Let's go ahead and try this. 
Yeah, so we had a couple more weeks after the beta to wait, but ultimately I'm pretty sure I pre-ordered a copy of it at that time because, you know, it felt like a true AAA title and had a little bit of a fresh twist with the Javelins. You know, you get these four different classes that essentially are just different versions of Iron Man. One's kind of a, a mage, one's a tank, one's a speed play, you know, run around ninja type, you know, and so they gave you some different options there for gameplay. But... It just, we had no idea what we were in for at that time after after getting bamboozled. I know that I also ended up buying you a copy, so I've actually bought two copies of Anthem. Yes, you did. it was close to your birthday, and I was like, oh, this is going to be sweet. I know you had some other games you were playing, but I was like, no, we need to squat up. This is going to be legit. And so I uh, I grabbed it for you for your birthday. I've always been a little extra salty about that because I'm like, I bought two freaking copies of this game. <laughs> <laughs> It's true, it's true. But then the game launched, and some things really started to feel off. You know, I think up front we were, we were okay. You know, it's brand new. We hadn't beaten the game. We hadn't gone through 40, 60 hours of play or anything to really get to where, you know, because games like this are all about the end game and what's going to happen once you kind of max out on the story and on your loadouts. But it wasn't too long after that that we started seeing some of the issues, right? Like extremely long load times extremely long yes extremely long load times tortoise level movement speed in the home base um there was like no sprint and the home base was just awkward and you always had to come back to the home mm-hmm. base so that doubles down on the loading screen yep you were never in fort tarsus with your party so as soon as you would end everybody was kind of back on their individual like solo campaign situation and so everybody was going to talk to npcs and get get missions and i remember like just a whole lot of 20 minutes of waiting around for everybody to do their individual stuff before being able to even queue up the next mission as we were going through the campaign oh yeah and there were moments where you have to go talk to this person to unlock this mission because if you went and played it on somebody else's it wouldn't register yep like and it wouldn't give you credit for doing that mission so you had to make the long walk through fort tarsus and it was a cool cool little environment but it between the slow walking pace and this just this sheer size of it you kind of got worn out on it you're like i do not feel like walking all the way down this corduroy or like all the way down this hallway down into the bar area to talk to this person, to go talk to that person, to walk all the way back here, to talk to this person, to go back to the bar, to get that, to finally get the mission. It was just too much. Oh, yeah. It, it just slowed everything down, and it really just broke the experience And from that whole side of the game. You know, if you weren't in mission fighting, it's just like you didn't want to be dealing with it at all. <laughs> but even at that, like, there were mission, mission queue-up issues that I remember. We had party issues trying to get people in. The menu navigation was pretty tedious trying to get around and figure out where stuff was and how to get to new missions or use different boosts when you're going into missions. The only real upside to Anthem when it launched ended up being the combat. Oh, yeah. The combat was amazing. And that's one thing Anthem still has and has had the whole way through is the core combat, the flight, and being in that suit feels amazing i'm not sure i've ever experienced a game that's so fluid in a iron man simulator as i'll call it like when you're in your ranger javelin or your interceptor or hunter even the colossus which is the big one it felt so clean to be flying through the air and stopping and shooting launching grenades floating in the air 
pulling up your shields, using your specials, all of that core combat felt so good. Yeah, and and seamless is is or fluid is really the word I think you used there because you could go from any one of those actions directly into flight or come right out of flight and go directly into combat. And the level design, you know, the to give them credit where credit is due, the world that you were moving around in was well designed, it was beautiful, the graphics were great. And they had kind of this different, you know, most of the time in video games, we look at size as like square footage, right? Like you think about like square miles, the Red Dead Redemption map is, is like, you would just think it would be like a hundred square miles of map that you're on. And it's all very flat, right? You're thinking almost like like a, not a 2D plane, but just the ground level plane. And that's, it's all very horizontal, horizontal. Yeah. Whereas in Anthem, they shifted that a little bit and they went a lot more vertical because of the flight so they had set designs and caverns and things like that that went up multiple multiple what i would say hundreds of feet into the air they had water you know where you could actually come out of flight and dive straight through a, a puddle of water but then you would realize it was a complete underground cave system you know of water to float through and come out the other side in a different part of so they did some good stuff there, but man, it was like pulling teeth trying to figure out how to give these people credit because Bioware really struggled to put anything else together with this game. And the further we got into it, once we got through the entire campaign and had really experienced what they did give us, it was like, what are we going to do now? What's left? Yeah, there, was, there was nothing left. And that's like kind of the, my thought on Anthem is that we hit it really hard out the gate and I know you especially hit it really hard out the gate. Just our playing schedules were a little different. So you were given that opportunity to play it really hard, knock out the story. And then, like you said, in a game like this, it's all about the end game. Yep. Afterwards, leveling and getting new weapons, new skins, and advancing your character. But none of that was there. There was almost a lack of missions. There was a lack of strongholds, uh, which are your, your longer missions. So in Anthem, you have contract missions which are a little shorter, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And then you have strongholds, which are your raids, to compare it to Destiny, where it's a little 30 to 40 minute battle. Uh, but there were few and far between. All the missions felt the same. And it got to a point where all the strongholds started to feel the same. Well, and that right there was the big issue too. And it's not to say, because most every game has some level of redundancy or repetitive feeling to it, right? But literally, I... It was so, like, you couldn't tell me that there was really a significant difference between anything content-wise that you did in Anthem. It just felt like you were going through the exact same motions, whether you were doing the contract or doing the stronghold. And the fact that they gave you so few of each just compounded it and made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> like, how many, how many of these giant monsters am I going to fight? Right. And flip side, then, you know, you got to look at the looting system in a game like this. Like, it was built to essentially be a looter shooter. You know, you have multiple pieces of gear on your javelins that you can change and upgrade and make better and customize. The weapons had different random rolls on them that you know, should be able to make you want to chase them down and find very specific things for your very specific build. But even the gear and weapons were very limited in a game like this. You know, in Destiny, there are hundreds of weapons. There are hundreds of pieces of gear. In this, I mean, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but if I was just a guessing man, I feel like it's like dozens. 
like tops. Oh, like there not, might not be a hundred different many. pieces of gear, and there might not be a hundred different guns in this game. No, especially not. And then even the weapons that are that do vary. I think of the pulse weapons in that game. It's a pulse weapon is a pulse weapon, whether it's shooting something that fire that is fire or ice or electric. It all feels the same in your hands yep. as you're firing it. So, which is natural in shooters. I understand that you're you're gonna get that, but everything here is compounded yeah everything we're saying here it's like okay well if it were this individual problem i think we could overlook it or this individual problem we could overlook it but it's everything together exactly it's just causing for a bad experience well and of course you know after really just a couple of days the community online just went nuts everybody lit up everybody was pissed and you know wondering why the hell we just spent 60 plus dollars on a copy of this game when in all honesty it at best it was a 20 dollar game let's just be honest yeah. at best well we paid for a beta like <laughs> yeah. it, it felt to some extent that we paid for a beta right right and yeah that's a good yeah and but what was funny was you know after this it, then the developers got involved right then we started seeing bioware come come alive we started seeing them put out messages and dev streams live streams and once again we're like okay well this has got some struggles but bioware is very engaged maybe we'll just have to be a little patient and over time it'll get resolved and the dev streams <laughs> didn't really <laughs> do anything to inspire much confidence like i think the very first one wasn't too bad but then it was like every couple days that went by every week that went by Every time we got to another dev stream, it got worse. Yeah, the the developers and the lead producer or director for the game just seemed to be agitated that he had to continue to do these dev streams. And as a player base, you're like, well, don't give us a broken game. Right. Like, if you're annoyed that you have to jump on here and do this stream and talk about these flaws and what you're going to, like, correct the flaws. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely came with a level of, probably arrogance, smugness, anger. After seeing some of the stuff that we know now that came out later that we'll talk about, you can definitely, so it's probably some personal frustration in the workplace. And, you know, so there was a lot adding up to this, but it is never okay to go in front of your customers, your consumers, your player base that have given you money, you know, $60 plus per person, millions of dollars collectively, and then look at them and say, you know, well, we're sorry that it's bad, but, you know, we have to play it too, so it's bad for us as well. You know, like, they were completely copping out. They were mad that they were getting pushback. Yeah, I remember when they finally tried to put out the patches with the loot system upgrades, and then that failed because, in my opinion, as a tech guy, they weren't testing it. They were rushing things. They didn't have clear direction on what they were trying to accomplish. When those failed, they got even more pissed. And, it, like, I remember at one point either in, in, a, in a community message or maybe it was another one of those dev streams, it was just like, well, what do you all want? Like, what do you mean? You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, it was just so – I'd never experienced that from a game developer in any of the modern age games with social media and everything. Something where they literally were like, go fuck yourself, community. You know, it's, that's yeah. how it felt to me. It was just like, we got your money. Go fuck yourself and play our game. <laughs> yeah, play our game if you can. If you can, yeah. Because there was so much, and then there was so much that felt like, maybe I shouldn't say we were promised and never got, maybe that's not the right word for it, promised, but I don't know. It felt like it, you gave us things and told us we were going to get certain 
we had certain expectations. Oh yeah. For the game, and then it didn't meet expectations, and they were like, "Well, we're sorry, it didn't meet your expectations." I'm like, "Well, our ex- expectations were there because you told us it would. This is what we were gonna get." Oh yeah. So that's that's why we're frustrated here. Is you presented this game to be one way, and this deep lore, this compelling story, these dialogue trees that you're gonna have with people, with NPCs, and it's all going to mean something. And then we find out, no, it's all broken, and none of it means anything on the back end. So, like, that's why we're mad. It was barely coherent. Like, some of the stuff didn't even, yeah. like, fully work together. And, yeah, well, and the other thing, you said expectations. You know, games vary, and not every game is made the same, and not every $60 game is worth $60, you know, versus a $20 game. You know, like, we've seen the whole gamut in 2020 is... 30 years of gaming experience, we've seen the entire gamut of cheap games that were amazing and expensive games that were absolute garbage. And I think, though, that when it comes to certain game companies, and especially what are referred to as AAA titles, you know, that top tier, they're going to be $60, $70, $80 out the gate, full price in the gaming industry. The community has absolutely every right to have certain expectations because most games at that level come out and are providing a certain level of experience and this like you said felt like they just shipped a beta and in fact really the beta that actually came out was better than the game they shipped and we found that out later because they they admitted that that beta that we played was a cut of the game from months before that they had defect fixed and went through it and revised it and made it clean. <laughs> yeah, they took a full slice of the game and perfected it and then told us this is what the whole game's going to be like. Yeah, yeah, and it's called fraud. Like, let's be honest, <laughs> like, if this would have happened in other industries and under cer- other circumstances, it would be called fraud, you know? And the game industry gets away with it because it's creative license and the whole nine yards, right? You know, it's art and essentially... So they can put out whatever they want. But what they did, in my opinion, was at least borderline on that area of defrauding their customers out of their money. You know, the fact once we learned that that demo was cut weeks to months before, I want to say it was like two or three months before and perfected. So that way it would play as well when they knew where the actual game was and the state of of their software. They had no business releasing it when they did. They should have delayed it even further. Yeah. You know, or canceled it, honestly. Or cancel. We've we need to, I've said this many times. Delay it. Delay it and perfect it. Get it right before before rushing and giving us something that's broken. But they didn't even rush the game, Kyle. It was seven years. So, well seven yeah. years of development. That's like C D Project Red Cyberpunk stuff. You know, Red <laughs> Dead Redemption. Those are the games you get after seven years. Not what this was. Like, it, it's just baffling, you know, how it even stacked up. But but unfortunately, you know, it, it just started to go downhill really quickly. We were super aware of what was wrong with the game. And I know for me, I kind of dropped out, you know, or was starting to drop out pretty quickly. I think because I had played more at the time, like you said, you, you stuck through it a little longer, though. I did. I played, I mean, the game came out late February. I stuck around until about late May. And that was partially because my playing schedule, I was a little more limited at the time. And I had never really experienced a game like this. So Destiny was never my jam. And these loot shooters were were never really something I got into. So this idea of grinding and playing the same mission over and over and over 
was so new to me that I wasn't totally aware that how big of a flaw it was. I just thought this is the expectation when you play a game like this, that you're going to play the exact same level 50 times and you're going to get, you know, a couple purples, maybe a couple oranges. And every now and then you might luck out on a legendary or luck out on a on a gold, yellow, whatever you want to call it. And that's how it goes. I, di- I wasn't aware wasn't aware that games aren't meant to be played this way. Loot shooters are not meant to be played this way or developed this way or rewarded me in this fashion. Well, yes and no. I mean, they really, like, they're all, all loot shooters, like MMOs and things like that, are grindy games. There is definitely an aspect to it that you are expected that you're going to be playing through this content repeatedly. You're going to be chasing after certain items and certain currency and things like that to buy better items and that you may only have certain percentages to get those drops. The problem with Anthem, and really where it struggled compared to Destiny, The Division, Diablo, I mean, any of those kinds of games that, whether they may not be a shooter, but anything where you are really trying to get a ton of loot, build up a custom character, min-max your builds, and, and find your niches for what is either the best stuff in the game at a time, or what you need best for your style of play. Sure. They're all, that's what's going to happen to get those things. But my point is, is that with Anthem, there was so little loot. And then they had mechanic issues where it wasn't dropping right. Like you could play through whole missions and get nothing. But there was so little loot that you would get it. You would play a stronghold three to five times or whatever, a very small number of times compared to what most people will do in the life of games like this. You would have everything and then it was like, okay. And that was the problem. Yeah, and that's where maybe I didn't realize what was going wrong because having not played a Destiny or Division or anything like that, like I thought the loot drop was how it was supposed to be. And I actually had a moment where I was trying to find a way to play the game. I was trying to be super positive about it, and I actually, I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but I played a couple missions where I didn't fly. I ran through the whole level, and and I had a lot of success on getting loot. And I was like, oh, this is just how you're supposed to play this game. You got to, like, shoot every little creature, cover every little nook and cranny of every, and, like, stand all of these missions out. And then it hit me after a while, like, no, I'm supposed to be flying all the time. I'm supposed to be in this Iron Man-style suit. Screw the little guys. I'm crewing, you know, killing the big monsters. And I was like, and, and it was like my whole thought process flipped where I was trying to make the game fun for myself. And trying to find what worked yeah. and not just openly realizing, okay, Kyle, the game is broken. Well, you do tend to be more of an optimist than I am. <laughs> I try to give it its fair shake. And, like, we'll get to it a little later. I, I played it a little longer, and then even when we came back to it, uh, I, I tried to be a little more optimistic of being <laughs> like, oh, no, this is new. And then you just had to remind me that it wasn't. But we touched on it a little earlier, and I think it's time that maybe we, we address it in early April. The video gaming website, Kotaku, pulled back the curtain on what had happened with Anthem. And we that's when we found out the seven years in development, the reworked, perfected slice of demo we got and showed off. And it it blew. I mean, this, this article was everywhere. This, this article exposing Electronic Arts and Bioware for what happened. There wasn't a person in my life that plays video games that wasn't talking to me about this article. Oh, yeah. It was one of the biggest bombshells we've seen out of the video game industry uh, as like a behind-the-scenes type expose. They had 19 people who either worked on the game or really close to the game 
that spoke to them, and they talked about indecision, mismanagement, technical failings, issues with the EA Frostbite engine. Uh, they got into staffing and industry demand concerns, which really kind of kicked off. Like, I, I don't know if I know enough to say that this was like the genesis of all, of all of that, but over the last two years or so, we've seen really kind of an uptick in awareness of what the life is like for a video game industry worker, right? If you're a coder yeah. and how how much they're pushing them, how much the demand is and the working conditions, like all of that came to light. They talked about mass exodus of BioWare's longtime leadership. I mean, there was nothing that was really adding up in their favor here. And it sounded like, you know, you coupled a lot of external factors like dealing with Frostbite Engine or et cetera, et cetera, with, with indecision and constantly changing what like they couldn't even tell you what anthem was supposed to be yeah and that was a big thing that ended up being huge because when we found out that not the creators and the developers couldn't pinpoint what the game was supposed to be how is it's destined to fail right there's no way this game is ever going to be successful if the people creating it don't know what the end goal is exactly if there was clear vision at the beginning of this game it definitely got destroyed somewhere in those seven years and never recovered. And it's just a shame because, you know, you never like to, I don't like shitting on people. I know, I, like yeah. I said, I'm a tech guy. I work in tech every day of my life. And I understand that it is highly demanding and, and these things are highly complicated. But to fail at this point and then really add on all the smugness and and everything that came with it afterwards, you know, it just, it really built up to what I would say is going to be a very hard to forget bad experience <laughs> oh yeah oh it's going to go down as one of the biggest disasters in video gaming history like i'm thinking of the et game and the burial out in the desert of all those atari cartridges <laughs> maybe in 30 years we'll get a documentary on what happened to anthem one of the biggest games from the two big you know two huge publishers developers yep. why did this game fail it's true well, we definitely have talked at length here about where where we were when the game launched and, and kind of what happened shortly after that. From there, we pretty much took an eight, nine-month minimum hiatus, not touching the game at all. I mean, I had uninstalled it for my PlayStation. I think you had uninstalled it. I uninstalled it when it started. We, did, we didn't even touch on this. It actually started to brick PlayStations. Oh, I don't know if you remember right. that whole oh, debacle. Oh, yeah, that's right. I totally and forgot. Yeah, like when that started to come out, I started to have problems with my PlayStation, and it terrified me yeah. that Anthem was about to brick my PlayStation, so that's when I inevitably uninstalled it, and the fact that none of my friends were playing it anymore. No, that's true, and if you're not familiar, the term brick is essentially fatal flaw from software to just shut down the entire the entire device and turn it into a giant paperweight. So like that's what it did. There were reports of I don't think it was like super widespread, but it was really making people worry because the game was struggling already. And then those things came out and it was like, well, I'm not even going to risk it. Glad you brought that up because I totally forgot that that had happened. Well, I started to see major issues and that's why I ultimately did it. Like yeah. my PlayStation started acting funny and I will say I can't contribute all of it to Anthem. But the day I uninstalled it, those issues went away. <laughs> yeah, you never know. So, and then we came up and, and with just the last few weeks, we realized it was the one year anniversary, you know, over the last number of months, we've seen different articles about how BioWare's talked about, you know, recommitments and EA, we're going to make it better. So Kyle and I were sitting here going, you know what, 
let's let's revisit this. Let's go back and see what they did. Did they meet those promises? Have they made it better? Is anything different? And so we reinstalled it a couple weeks back, and we've done a couple different sessions together playing. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what we expected before we get into to what we actually saw in the game. So what were your expectations when we were looking to go back into Fort Tarsus? I expected everything to be more polished. And it, it plays back into that, well, we shouldn't buy it day one. We should wait six months, see how they do. So it plays on that theme. So I expected the game to have way more polish, to have way more missions, more guns. I know that they had dropped the Cataclysm event. So there was meant to be more story mode there and to further that along. So expectations weren't, they were limited because of the opening experience, but I I expected more of everything. Just what you would think you're going to get out of a game that presented this way a year later. Sure. Like I said, missions, contracts, skins, everything. Just double down on everything. I also expected a lot more fluidity in the quality of life, the menu changes, and being able to salvage parts that you no longer need i expected the loot system to be corrected and a lot of that maybe more monsters maybe more lore more findables collectibles things like that is that on par about what you were thinking did you have anything that you were expecting no i mean that's where i was hopeful for i have here that my expectations were low but curious you know i was very curious to see had they met any of these promises that i had seen in the headlines and you know admittedly i was only following it at a distance when i would see a story pop up here and there on ign or kotaku whatever it be okay that's interesting we'll see right yeah and even just recently they put out i think it was the beginning of february before just before we jumped in they put out another one of we're recommitting anthem 2.0 anthem next you know and it was like the third time we've heard that so my expectations were low new team leads everything yeah new team leads every new or under new management you know <laughs> and so i was hopeful in a sense because the framework of a potentially great game was there but i also figured that it's really was going to be unlikely that a shit show this big would be corrected you know it you're talking about massive overhauls of almost everything in this game outside of core mechanics so getting a a big turnaround was probably going to be too much to ask for and see i was the optimist again where (laughs) i thought it was gonna you know be the comeback of the year the comeback kid anthem's really gonna give us what we wanted and what we expected the first go around and uh i i was eager to do this because Knowing how it went the first go round, and you were just frustrated and and bailed, and then I was playing it on my own for a long time, which oddly, in a game that is meant to be played multiplayer online with other people, (laughs) I had the most fun. This is no insult to you when we played, but I always had the most fun when I was playing by myself, but it was because I was playing at that slower pace and all that. So I was being optimistic that they had fixed these things and that the game was going to be better, and I was secretly really hopeful that it was going to be so good that it hooked us and that we decided to play it long term. Well, I mean, you would hope so, right? Like, we've, we've got this game, it's there, and, and there were aspects we did like about it. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, if it could hook us, then that would be the best-case scenario, right? Like, they earned our way back in. And we'd seen other games do that. Yeah, other games have done that. It's definitely possible, but you have to sit down, be serious, and committed. And sadly... 
just jumping right into it after a couple different play sessions in the last couple of weeks. The verdict really is that Anthem is pretty much the exact same as it was when we stopped. <laughs> it's true. There are some improvements. Uh, the, I felt like the loading screens, maybe, I don't know if they were shorter, but they definitely gave you something to look at now. Yeah, they had some new content to, to distract you. It, they did feel a little bit shorter than I remember. You know, it was more in line with what I would expect on a modern gen system and the whole nine yards. So that seemed to be a plus. I thought some quality of life issues were greatly improved as far as menu navigation, collectibles, lore, and things like that. And how to salvage materials. That was really a big one the first go around. You had to break down every piece, what piece of weapon or component or gear that you didn't want. You had to break down one by one. Yep. And when they, they added uh, to salvage all or to mark and then salvage batching it, it really helped. So those were poly like positives to it. But I'd have to agree with you, everything else was the exact same right well and the thing about those types of changes in the game is that those are the easy victories some menu navigation right. and some of those kinds of things are easy quality of life changes in a game it's totally different to be designing new content to be designing new levels to be designing new weapons to be designing new armor and and abilities like that's the hard part right and we got none of it you know, it looks like it's just been sitting there. And I think some of the quality of life improvements, we were trying to think back on exactly when some of those things came. And some of them did come early before we stopped playing when they were doing those initial patches. They took care of a few of those little things right away. They struggled with the loot system and then, you know, introduced a bunch of other bugs that made it even worse to play. You know, I think personally that 98% of the game is the same as it was say april 2019 probably maybe one extra stronghold or one or two extra missions they added legendary missions but as you said that was one that got pushed out before we stopped playing the strongholds were still always the best part of the game and the gameplay was still fantastic yeah we had fun when we were playing yeah overall there was every all the problems that were there a year ago were still there conversations with npcs were still just awful and awkward conversation markers that look like missions that was still a problem where they show up saying you have something and then you walk you slow walk your ass all the way across tarsus you get there and then there's actually nothing there all of that was still there the sprint which they added a sprint in fort tarsus but it wasn't it didn't feel any faster than walking really well it's either slow walk or walk it's not walk or sprint it's either slow walk or walk it's like you're steven seagal walking around this whole thing just like going after, you won't run after anybody, but you're just going to get there eventually, and then you're going to key to their ass, you know? <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> so it really was. My biggest complaint was they dropped this Cataclysm event, which gave us new story modes, but then when we went to play it again, the Cataclysm event had ended, and they took the story modes down. Yeah. They took the story missions down, so I'm still baffled by this that you're going to release an event that expands the story, but then when the event ends, you don't give new players a chance to go back to those story missions. Well, and if they were doing regular events or seasons, then that would make some sense, right? If you were constantly updating your game and there's new stuff coming down the road, that could make some sense as temporary. Only those people playing at that time can get those rewards but that's not what they're doing here. <laughs> and that's not what they've done here. Like that was the only 
real content update that I can think of hearing about, seeing about, whatever it may be. And the Cataclysms was something that they talked about early. Like, that was supposed to be an early on, like, world event type thing. And it got delayed. And then, but yeah, but to take it out of a game that sucks so bad, like, why would you not leave everything in there? You know, unless it was broken itself. You know, unless they had issues when it came out and it was not operating good or it was negatively impacting the rest of the game, they, you know, that they took it. I don't know. But I was surprised that when we jumped in there that there was no, there was just nothing new to do. You know, once we played a handful of games each session, I personally, I was like, I I couldn't bring myself, there was no motivation to even make myself want to play because even the legendary gear that I hadn't got yet, as soon as I started getting those drops when we were playing the other day on Grandmaster 3, and I realized that they were the exact same as everything else that I've already gotten just at a slightly higher level. It was just, I don't know. I, I had no no motivation. There was no pull to get me to say, I'm going to play this game anymore. Well, we, we said it when we were playing because I had taken on, I think, a few extra solo sessions and maxed out my ranger. Uh, at this point, my ranger is totally legendaried out. And we when we really looked at it, we're like, the difference between my ranger and your storm was just power level. Like the fact that you would be playing on grandmaster two, I'd be playing on grandmaster three, but effectively there was no difference between the two. There weren't more enemies Mm-mm. or maybe you're a little squishier, but once you get leveled up, not really there, there's effectively no difference between power level 80 and power level 60 because there was no difference between the difficulty levels. Well, and they came with the same rules. They came with the same different perks. They came with the same abilities. They weren't upgraded because it was a legendary versus a common. It just—it was just nothing there. It gave you no reason to go grind these same levels for hours on end to get better gear because you were not going to get better gear. Yeah. Well, and the gear drop was still felt broken. It was still few and far between when you would actually get a legendary drop. And you really start to invest like why am i investing my time in this game video games need to earn your time and why are you doing this if it's not going to reward me in some way if i'm about to drop 30 minutes or of of my time on a stronghold i'm hoping to get some positive results out of this more than just oh well you know oh you got loot but yeah you gave me like 30 oranges but no legend you know you gave me a bunch of epi- epics at this point in the game are no use to me. No. So well, why? Well, that's another that's another issue is because, you know, in, in other grindy games, you would get a lot of stuff that you're going to just destroy. But why do you destroy it? Because you need certain currency or materials so that way you can then go and craft awesome stuff. There's very little actual places to craft or, you know, you just end up crafting the same things. Like, they didn't do anything to give you that pool in any direction, in my opinion, at least. So it... Yeah, you're just grinding. You get this pile of purple loot. You just destroy it all, and then it's going to sit in a currency bank because there's nowhere to go really, truly use it because you're not going to benefit from it. So all in all, it was disappointing. I think at this point, I can't get any more disappointed than than where we (laughs) were when the game first came out. But it was a fun thing to do and really a chance to go back and take a look at a game. We tried to give it a, a second shot. We tried to give it an extra set of eyes to see... You know, maybe we were just heated at the time, right? That was one thing we talked about, like, where we just kind of biased at the time because, like, the way things went down, we got real pissed and we haven't come back and given it a fair shake. Well, we've given it the fair shake now. You know, we gave it the second pass and, and it's 
still extremely, extremely bad. As we wrap up here, Kyle, let's talk a little bit about where we think the future of Anthem is going to be because we did just see, as I mentioned earlier on 210, Kotaku ran another article saying that, uh, quote, BioWare plans a substantial reinvention of Anthem. I think that was the headline. And in it, they expressly called out Anthem 2.0, Anthem Next, you know, that they're going to to really bring it back to life. Do you buy that? At this point, you can't buy that. They haven't given you enough to believe to buy in. That's not saying I don't want it to be that, because I do, because I really enjoyed Anthem for the combat and the gameplay and all that. So I would love to go back in and play more in the future. But at this point, they haven't earned my trust to believe that whatever's coming in the future is going to be worth it. I, once again, I really, really want it to be. And I hope that they can bounce back. Love a good comeback story. But oh yeah, if it could come back, it would be an amazing feat for any game, really any IP, to go from that bad all the way back. I I just don't think it's gonna happen. Personally, if you think about the time, the money, the effort, the PR it would take to really get it back, I don't even know if it's worth it at this point. Like it's yeah. kind of more just like take the embarrassment, shake it off, just cut your losses and go develop a new game, you know, and just try and save your, yeah, just pull the plug and try and save your name. Cause I mean, this really hurt. Bioware was a pretty respected game company. They had a little bit of issues with one of the games that came out right before Anthem where people were like, Oh, it wasn't quite as good as uh, the previous ones, but Bioware really took a big hit with Anthem here. And I mean, at one point I was like, they may go under, you know, when they were talking about people leaving and the whole nine yards, I was like, oh, EA may dissolve them or absorb them into another developer company that they have. But that hasn't happened yet. All in all, Anthem was and still is a huge disappointment. It's unfortunate that even an entire year later, the game is still just a fractured shell of what players were promised by Bioware and EA. It is without a doubt one of the biggest flops in recent history and will live in infamy for years to come unless they can find a way to resurrect it. If they are truly committed to, quote, substantial reinvention, Maybe they will create a large amount of new content and release the game as a free-to-play to start making up for stealing 60 dollars from their customers. Either way, we want to know if you played Anthem, so get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter and let Kyle and I know what your thoughts were about the game. Coming soon on Geek Catch-Up. We've got an exciting lineup of chapters coming your way over the next few weeks. Chapter 11 in late March, we're taking a look at current games and shows that have unexpectedly drawn us in. Games like Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 on the Nintendo Switch. We knew we'd like it, but we never thought we'd put in the number of hours that we have. After Chapter 11, it's all eyes on WrestleMania 36 for our fifth wrestling recap. We'll break down the action from WWE's Showcase of the Immortals. This year's Mania in Tampa Bay should be bigger than ever. Next up, that'll bring us to April in Chapter 12 for the first of many major video game releases coming in 2020, the Final Fantasy VII Remake. The game drops on April 10th, and you'll get our thoughts on everything from our midnight release experience. Keep an eye on Geek Catch-Up social media for more updates, and remember to stay saucy. So since we were spending time today revisiting the Anthem of Creation, Kyle and I thought it would be fun to run through some additional games from the last few years that had a lot of release day buzz, but did not live up to the expectations for whatever reason. 
We also reached out to our fantastic Geek Ketchup fam for some suggestions on this topic and plan to share them as well. But first up, Kyle's going to take us through Street Fighter V. Street Fighter V is the classic Capcom fighting game, possibly the game Capcom is most well known for. It originally came out on February 16th, 2016. I was super eager to play Street Fighter V. I love fighting games uh, from Mortal Kombat back in the day, Soul Calibur, uh, even I just love fighting games. So I was super eager to play Street Fighter V and tortured myself over buying it on release day. I finally bought it and could not have been more disappointed over just the overall lack of content that that game had. It had a story mode, but the story mode made, like, no sense at all. And I basically crushed it in a weekend. And then once that was over, there was nothing left to do because you actually couldn't play online when it first released because there were so many server issues. Eventually, the game did bounce back. But up front, it was like, okay, I played it for a weekend. Now what do I do? Yeah, and I really like Street Fighter as an IP. But personally, I don't play as many fighting games as you. So I tend to stick to... Mortal Kombat and Injustice, especially as of late. Like for me, if I'm going to play Street Fighter, it's usually going to be thrown in the retro, you know, Street Fighter 2 or whatever it may be. But all I remember when this game came out was just you being so freaking mad at the game because you were having online or having issues with the online matches. I remember you talking about some sort of bug that would like constantly force you to either restart the game or like go back to the main menu every time you did something and just. Just all across the board, you were frustrated, and especially coming off of playing games like was like MK9, MK10, Injustice 1, Injustice 2, where NetherRealm really kind of set the bar pretty high on what a fighting game campaign could be and the whole nine yards, right? So uh, that was my biggest memory of Street Fighter V, was just you being absolutely frustrated to no end. Yeah, that is ex- what you had said is exactly what happened to me. You would go into a game... And you would play, but then at the end, you'd go to re- like either rematch or you know whatever on the online portal, and it would kick you back to the menu, which would then throw you back through another loading screen, and then another main menu loading screen to get back into online mode. Then you have to player <laughs> match again, and it just became this situation where Street Fighter matches only last like one, two, three minutes at tops. Like there's a 99-second counter. So you're literally in loading screens longer than you're playing the game against somebody else. So it just became incredibly frustrating and then ultimately broke my heart because I gave up on the game. And sure enough, two years later, they released Arcade Edition. And then two years after that, in February 14th, 2020, they released Championship Edition, which has (laughs) significantly increased the game and its base roster. So the original roster was 16 characters and it was missing a lot of the classic Street Fighter people. So it's just so many factors of I'm not getting to play who as I want to play as there's no story mode. There's no there's not even a like tournament bracket style or a tower. Oh, wow. There was just nothing to do. So it was pretty much just straight like 1v1. Yeah. You versus the you versus the computer for the most part, normal fights. Yep, just just repeating it over and over and over. And then when you're not working towards anything, you're not working towards extra skins or things of that nature. Like, why am I even playing this? So yeah. and that's why I said it's a total heartbreaker because I gave up and now the roster's at forty. They've had four seasons of DLC characters. 
They've instituted like all sorts of arcade modes where you can essentially play through older versions of Street Fighter. You can go back. So while it's Street Fighter Five, you can go into arcade mode, pick Street Fighter Two Turbo, and you play all the characters. You work through that tower of the original Street Fighter Two roster, and then or you could pick Street Fighter Three Alpha or Street Fighter Four, like Strike Force, like all of these different modes. And so it, it just hurt so bad having to go back through and see how complete this game is now, knowing that four years ago I paid top dollar for it and got nothing. Yeah, well, the upside is, especially compared to what we were talking about with Anthem a little bit early earlier, is the fact that this is what you would like to see, though. As disappointing as it can be when you pay the money up front, you're really hyped about getting a game, and then it struggles like this, you would hope that they would make good on that investment by continuing to provide quality updates that expand content <laughs> you know and and make it so that way then you can be proud of having that game or want to play it and i'll say now that it's back on my playstation i may spend more time with it and it's it's popular at evo and the fighting game community like it, it's rebounded there was some backlash up front over server issues and lack of content but capcom has doubled down and proven to the community why they're still a top-tier fighting game, deserve to be in that conversation as the great of the greatest fighting games of all time. Uh, so maybe I'll go back and keep playing it. We'll see. There's just so many video games to play. I know, right? Well, and we've got so many to get through here, so we're going to keep it moving. Uh, the next up that made the list for us here was Battleborn, which was developed by Gearbox Software and published by 2K back in May of 2016. It came out on Xbox One, PS4, and PC. This game was kind of unique. It featured co-op, PvE, and PvP modes and had over 25 playable characters at launch. The PvE was a campaign story mode with multiple difficulties that you could play through where teams of four would come in, and it had an interesting mechanic, whereas every time you would go into a new mission you would essentially level up your character as you played inside that mission uniquely making different choices through the skill tree and then it would reset each time you went so it gave kind of a unique twist you could play through the different characters a lot it kind of took away some of the grind because you didn't have to worry about like maxing out each character to play them you could just take a character at any given time by the time you'd be through the end of the mission you would pretty much be maxed out so it had some cool stuff there PvP was a 4-on-4 kind of control style uh, mode. But ultimately, the game up front was was really fun. It had intense battles, some good Toonie-type graphics, fun co-op. Yeah, we played a ton of this game. But we really learned quickly that it didn't have any endgame content. You know, it had, what, like eight campaign levels and maybe four multiplayer maps? Yeah, and it, it ran out quick. Well, and then the PvP was not enjoyable. And I, and I remember no. that, like, we mostly stuck to the story mode campaigns and co-oping that because PvP was just not fun for whatever reason. But it, like you said, the Helix Tree, that was super smart and a very unique way to handle a first-person shooter. And the game had a lot of MOBA elements to it. Mm -hmm. And it just made for a, a lot of fun play just in a short amount of time because, like you said, once we ran through that story and played it back through one or two more times, it kind of got worn out. Like, all right, well, what do we do from here? Like, there was limited skins. Uh, the Helix thing, as fun as it was, 
it seemed to wear thin, like because you were upgrading the same way every single time. Right. And really utilizing the same character every single time. So like all the missions just started to feel the same. And then ultimately it got overshadowed. Yeah, well, I'll touch on here because I made the worst call ever. But the thing about it was was that trying to be this type of, of a game, the fact that it didn't give you the option to earn gear and loot and change your characters with different cosmetics or different power-ups, you know, by putting on some shoulder pads or some some new gauntlets, whatever it may be, that there was no there was no grind. Yeah. You know, once you beat the game, once you got the medals for beating all the levels on all the different difficulties, like that was pretty much it, you know. It was more of a it felt more like an indie game, to be honest. Like something that we should have paid twenty, thirty dollars for off the Xbox store or something like that. Nice little short experience and then move on. But it was sold as a triple A title. It was sold as a top tier game. And what was funny was that game came out pretty much the same time as Overwatch. And I remember we had some talks. We were kind of looking at the two. They, they, in the commercials, there was a lot of similarities before everybody really knew what Overwatch was. Yeah. You know, in that toony look, different characters. But we knew that Overwatch was going to be really more of just a straight PvP game. Whereas Battleborn was offering some of these different things, right? The in-game Helix Tree, the co-op campaign and etc so i know i remember i'll take this (laughs) yeah this one you know i take all the blame for this because i remember after checking them both out and was like i think battleborn's gonna be the better more interesting game versus just a straight pvp experience and so i went and bought battleborn and then the rest of our our group ended up picking it up because it seemed legit and that was the worst call that i could have made because overwatch is still going strong and is is amazing game (laughs) and battleborn is closing their servers they're closing their servers in a year uh i did oh yeah i did read that that they've officially stopped well they stopped selling the game you can't you can't buy it anymore and they're in the process of closing down their servers and they'll be completely shut down by february 2021 okay see i knew that they did the game part i thought that they had already closed the server. i thought it was like already completely dead so if anybody's trying to get some initial or some final Battleborn time <laughs> in, then then go out and get it now if you still have the game. But it wasn't very long, you know, a couple weeks tops, right, that we we burnt out of this one, and, and I think I sold it back to GameStop. So For 50 cents. <laughs> Next up, we're looking at No Man's Sky. It is the exploration survival game that developed and published by Hello Games. Obviously, everyone knows Sean Murphy. It originally released on August 9th of 2016. This game was meant you were set in an open world universe. A lot of sci-fi elements pulled in, influenced by 70s and 80s sci-fi movies, where you were a being and you simply wake up and you explore the universe around you. you. You look for different, you learn new languages, you look for different materials, you build a ship, you explore from one planet to the next planet. And eventually you can travel from galaxy to galaxy. There was a lot of hype behind this game when it was originally announced. And then ultimately, like a lot of the games on this episode here today, uh, it ran out of content and didn't deliver on promises as far as creatures that would be procedurally generated. A lot of the open worldness was all the same, like planet after planet. But we bought it on day one. Yeah, it was kind of funny because this was a game that you were very much following as it was uh, leading up to release, whereas I was not. 
And then I remember sitting on my couch one night, saw an advertisement or a social media post, whatever it was, reminded me that the game was coming out the next day. And I started watching these videos. I started reading more on it, like really giving it some attention that I had not given it before. And I ended up going and pre-ordering it like right then and there for the midnight release because what was so hyped about it was that the way they built the world was pretty unique slash groundbreaking for a video game. Like they were talking about a environment that essentially a universe with what like 14 quintillion planets yeah, something absurd like, like no that. exaggeration like it is, it is some absurd number yeah like bigger than anybody can imagine all procedurally generated all that were supposed to be you know not necessarily unique every single one but but different coloring different animals different plants different materials and some of that happened but what you found after going through and i played a lot of this game up front I've got dozens of planets named after my my nephews, my dogs, my favorite characters, my favorite wrestlers, <laughs> you know, myself. Like, they are out there in the No Man's Universe, but you realize that kind of the most exciting thing about the game was just going to a new planet to name it, and then after that, kind of just proceeded on. Yeah, there wasn't much left to do. And I will say, if you look at hours to hours, you know, hours to money, I got my $60 worth out of this game. I put in a lot of hours, like you said, flying around, naming new planets, finding new caverns, seeing if I could swim, things like that. And I think we ultimately tried to find each other. We we did we did yeah. play that. We like co-opted up and because that was one of the things that was presented about this game that you would be able to find each other on planets and work together and none of it was there. Uh but that it didn't stop us from playing it. Like you said, we still traveled and did a lot of things. My favorite thing in the game was always to find new languages and learn the new languages and have conversations with different aliens. And all of that was wonderful. Yeah, I agree there. I agree there. I thought the challenge was that it was just, it had such a slow pace. And I do think it delivered on some of the things that it was supposed to. And it was a unique experience. It, it's not really like a, a game. You know, the way that you would think about a traditional game. It's a science-y explorer. You know, it, it's a it's definitely that solo experience. So it's kind of hard to fully compare it apples to apples with other, other games that we've talked about. Because it's just not an apples to apples situation. It's its own thing. Like, there's no game that's like it. Right. But it did get tough because you would spend all this time finding the new races for, for new language or collecting some new materials or whatever it may be. And you could level up your gun, you could level up your ship a little bit, your suit, but that was really like the only thing you could do. Like most everything else came with, with little to no payoff. And so after getting through a few different universes and, and dozens of planets, it was just like, well this is literally all this game is going to be. And I felt like I had experienced it, you know, 40, 60, 80 hours, whatever it was that I put into it. So I kind of just felt like I was done with it. Not necessarily that it totally flopped or whatever it may be. For me personally, it's just, I just felt like, okay, well, I experienced this and now I'm done with There's it. There's just nothing left to do. I'll say that the day No Man's Sky ended for me, was when I found out through online that the entire goal of the game is to get to the center of the universe. So you move from planet to planet to galaxy to galaxy. You collect materials to then travel from planet to planet to galaxy to galaxy. So that's what I started to do. 
It was like, okay, I spent minimal time on each planet. Like, you go to a planet, you harvest the materials that you need to harvest, you get back in your ship so you can move to the next galaxy closer to the center of the universe. And then when I found out that when you get to the center of the universe, the game just restarts and pushes you back to the end. So I'm thinking, what is the payoff? Like, why should I be pushing to the center of the universe? So I eventually stopped. Now, we talked about it earlier with Anthem where we'd like to see, when I said, we've seen games bounce back and do the right thing and, like, hunker down and all the developers go to work, the team puts in the effort, and they bounce their game back. No Man's Sky is the game that has done that because in the time since they've released, they've gone on to push out multiple updates next the abyss visions beyond synthesis and then even most recently just in february the living ship they've added a third person mode they've added all like galaxy battles ship fights you can get actual actual co-op you can build your own base you can travel portal to portal to portal and go from bases we have a good buddy who jumped on late and he loves no man's sky uh, mm-hmm. Shout out to our, our friend Blair. Like, he played the crap out of No Man's Sky after that original release. So he's getting tons of good content. And I couldn't be happier for him. Yeah, and this is one that we bounced back into a couple times over the last year or so, a couple years it's been, as they started doing those updates to check it out here and there. Like, when they did the multiplayer, we were like, okay, we definitely got to go back because we could actually party up, have both our explorers in the same place at the same time and go to do things but then and it was all positive you know they built they brought in um base building yeah. so you could do completely customizable like sandbox build out your own space bases on a, on a planet whereas before you were kind of just there and you know you might destroy some things and that would stay destroyed forever but you weren't leaving a mark really <laughs> but now you can go in and you can build your own fort you could leave a whole society on a planet if you want but what we found that kind of just ruined our overall desire to play after checking that out for a certain amount of time was that they introduced God Mode. Yeah, and once God Mode came into play, it made it very hard to go back to regular gameplay because the game is designed for the grind, for you to go to a planet and use your little material gun and harvest the planet for carbon or iron and the different materials in the game to craft new weapons, new materials to then push you to the next planet. Well, once they introduced God mode and you no longer really had to collect material, you could just instantly create it, then there was no point. There was no going back. It ruined us. Yeah, it really truly is just a giant sandbox to play in however you want. And it probably makes sense. It's kind of a a natural and smart evolution of this game because the whole thing was really built around that universe they made. The fact that they were even able to pull off a procedural generation of that size, you know, that was the star of this game when it launched and still is the star of the game. But it's like they had to then come back and figure out, well, what the hell do we do with this? You know, what do we even have people doing in these things? And and they've done great. I, I never expected that game to live on as long as it has and shift the perception as well as it has at this point in time. You know what oh, I, mean? I 100% agree. 100% agree. And I've said a few times for anyone that's ever seen the movie or read the book, Ready Player One, 
and where they, they kind of all live in an AI world uh, or like our VR world, really. This is what I imagine if we ever get there as a society, what our VR world will look like, that No Man's Sky is actually laying the base for us to eventually go to Ready Player One. We all have our own planet that we design however we yeah. want. It's like our own personal lobby for people to come in and hang out. Yeah, with or us. we go from planet to planet to do different things, kind of the way they do in that book. A planet for battling, a planet for I gotcha. sports, you know, a planet for car racing, things like that. That would be cool. Yeah, we need to get there at some point. <laughs> and I didn't know Man's Sky could be the base. Well, next up, we have For Honor, an action game that was developed by Ubisoft Montreal and then, of course, published by Ubisoft. Came out on February 14th, 2017. There's a lot of February release dates. For these games that suck. For all these games that suck. Like, maybe that's something these... <laughs> These games that sucked, uh, that flopped, uh, that didn't do well on release. Maybe February is just a bad month for release. Yeah, maybe we're not supposed to buy games unless it's the holiday season. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but the concept was centered around letting players use a variety of knights, samurai, and vikings in a third-person combat world. There was, of course, a single-player mode, but the game was more meant to be played online in 1v1, 2v2, or 4v4 situations with dual modes, larger maps that had King of the Hill and Capture the Flag. Game was a lot of fun. I know you played the beta, and then I ended yep. up buying the full game just because this game was right up my alley as far as knights, vikings, samurais in a... Uh, interesting, it was a third-person combat game, but the mechanics of it all were more of a fighting game as far as combos, techniques, and blocking. Yeah. It, it was more of a fighting game, a 2D fighting game put in a 3D space. Yeah, they did. It was it was all PvP, and I really gave them a lot of props for bringing that because we don't see too many hand-to-hand -hand combat PvP games, you know, as a standalone. If you play certain MMOs or other certain games, they may have a PvP option to them right? right but you're kind of there for other things whereas for honor was specifically pvp combat yeah and it was super cool the one major issue the glaring issue with this game was server issues you could not hold a party together you would have just sporadic crashes at any given time it could be while the game is loading it could be mid-game you could get 15 minutes into a game and then just crash and you lose all the XP, all the loot that you had gotten, anything you had earned is just out the window. And it made it so frustrating because you're going to put time in, but if the game is going to continually crash, then what are you really committing to? Because I, I remember I had certain sessions where I played with my buddy Mike, who's who's been on the show. Uh, we would play this game, and we'd play for three hours, and we would maybe get two full missions in or two full wow. modes and like it would honestly we were running maybe a 40 percent success rate at the time wow. like yeah two out of five it's just a waste of time well it's just a complete waste of your time at that point and that's that's ultimately you know, you what gotta happened. get the payoff yeah there was no there yeah. was no payoff it was a total waste of time so we just we bailed on the game and i, I went back uh, a year or two after that and i beat story mode because once again a lot of similarities. The combat was awesome and the gameplay was fun, but these external issues of the server problems and crashes were just too big to overcome. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, as much as Ubisoft can do things well at times, 
They also have a track record, especially over the last couple of years, of having significant issues with games at launch, especially on the server side. So I don't know why they haven't been able to, to resolve that when they launch a new game, but it seems like that's kind of their MO is launch, get it out, and then you're going to have a couple weeks to a couple months of absolute horde servers, and then you're going to you know move into a better territory. We saw it with the Division 1 and 2. Not so much on the two, but I know Division One had a ton of issues. For Honor was in there, and and ultimately Ubisoft has been pretty good about bringing them back. You know, For Honor is still going strong today. Oh yeah, and has had multiple DLCs, and it seems like as far as functionality, performance-wise, that it's it's overcome those issues. But it's really frustrating because you know everybody everybody is listening right now. They know if you're a gamer. You know what it's like to, you know, we spend months to years waiting for games because they tell us about them. We know what's coming. And then you get super hyped. You put down a pre-order. You know, you, you, you're spending your hard-earned money to get this game before you've ever even touched it. And then it comes, and then it's just like, I can't even play. I, you know, or if I can, I'm not going to get the rewards I deserve for playing it. Like, there is nothing that takes the air out of the room like that happening after all of that time goes by and all of that money goes out the window. It's true. And hopefully games can bounce back. I know that For Honor did. We, we said No Man's Sky is the comeback story of the video gaming industry. And For Honor has done well. You, like you said, they've released several updates since then. They did the Wu Lin, which brought in an entire new faction into the universe. Uh, they've done several new heroes for each faction of knights, vikings, and samurai. And then they've even done crossover events with Assassin's Creed. And then I got an email this week that they're doing a crossover with Prince of Persia. They've at least bounced back. I did see yeah, that. Yeah, they're bouncing back, yeah. and they're doing well. So good for Ubisoft doing there. But you're right. When you, you build this excitement around the game, and then it just doesn't perform or doesn't give you what you're looking for, it's just a total heartbreaker. Yep. Well, since we knew that we were going to be chatting about this today, we did reach out to the Geek Catch-Up community asking for some community responses about games that fell right into this category, right? For whatever reason, we didn't put any qualifiers on it, you know, but essentially games that you were hyped about as they launched and then found out that uh, they were either a flop or just didn't do it for you. So we've got a couple responses here as we get to the end of the chapter today. First up, though, was Paul. Paul shared with us that uh, he recently played Ace Combat 7, Skies Unknown, and he said, great graphics, but that was about it. It was just more of the same from the games of the past. Yeah, I got the feeling that Ace Combat 7 was basically a remake or remaster of maybe Ace Combat 4 or 5. Uh, I've never <laughs> played the Ace Combat game, so I can't specifically say 4 or 5, but that when you say that more of the same, it gives me that mentality that this game might as well just been a remake, you know, updated graphics, but it's all the same mission. Well, I, I kind of felt the same way, too. I, I loved Ace Combat games back in the day, and when I found out Ace Combat 7 was coming, I was really interested. I kept watching it, but I just couldn't quite bring myself to pre-order or anything along those lines. I thought I was going to grab it, you know, shortly after it came out, but the reviews kind of agreed with Paul. They said that Great gameplay, looks beautiful, but it's the same exact game as we've seen in Ace Combat, you know, one through six, essentially. Nation going to war, you've got to go be the ace pilot, got to go shoot down some stuff, and then the gameplay was the same. So, yeah, I haven't picked it up, sadly, because I really want to, but 
Um, when Paul shared that one, I was like, man, I knew, I knew that was one we were going to have to talk about because it, it kind of breaks my heart. I was really hoping that Ace Combat 7 on the modern gen was going to be, boom, here, we're back now. Not a lot of modern fl- uh, plane games, you know, with, with fighter jets and the whole nine yards. Maybe so. one day it'll be an Xbox Game Pass or a PlayStation Plus game. Ah, I'll have to look forward to that. I would totally pick it up if it was free, yeah, it was but free. not going to give them full price for it. So next up here, um, we had another one from Alex. She said that Marvel vs. Capcom 3 was a flop for her because it did not have two of her favorite characters, and then the third, her third favorite character she found out was paid DLC. Yeah, and this one shocked me. And at first I thought Alex was referencing Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite and not Marvel vs. Capcom 3. So we asked to clarify about the DLC characters so that we could confirm which exact game we were talking about because I had this experience with Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite where there was just a total lack of reward and the fact that there was no character endings when you beat the game with certain characters. But to hear that it was Marvel vs. Capcom 3 was very interesting to me. And Alex had said that it was Gambit, Blackheart, and Shuma Garath that were the characters that they really wanted to play as and ultimately didn't get. And I and I can understand that as those three characters were a big deal in Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Uh, so it's tough with fighting games when rosters adjust and you get attached to a certain person or a certain oh, yeah. technique. And then when the next one comes out and they're not there, it's just you get so frustrated. And you try to find a character that matches who you used to play as and it just doesn't work out. So I feel for you, Alex. Uh, Gambit and Blackheart were super cool characters in Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Bummer they didn't make it into Marvel Marvel vs. Capcom 3 or Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. Total shun. Total shun. What I would like to see is just Marvel vs. Capcom come out and just be like a total roster dump, which I know would end up being like 70-some characters that have appeared in those games over the years, but that's what I want, NBC. That's what I want. That would be pretty cool, just because it's got the lineage, so, you know, give us, like, one big collection. Kind of like you were talking about with Street Fighter earlier, where you got all these characters from previous games and stuff where you can play as them now. Yeah, exactly. That would be so cool. And I understand balancing issues would come into play, but it's the dream of having every single Marvel versus Capcom character ever in one game in one fighting universe. Yep. So next up here, we had Josh talking about the newest God of War He shared that he wanted to like it, but kept finding himself getting bored. He said it's on the rails and dramatic for dramatic's sake. I know I sound crazy, but I didn't like it. So I will say this to to you, Josh. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, so you don't sound crazy. But I do not agree with you on this one. I thought that God of War was fantastic. Start to finish, the story was compelling. It was touching, even though God of War game tends to not get into that. So I felt like they were hitting some different strides than we've seen before and then that combat action you know with the axe and then of course your, your his double chain you eventually blades, get the blades of chaos yeah the blades of chaos you know i thought it was great but i can totally respect the opinion what do you think of god of war i was late to the party with god of war which is really interesting it followed the same path of, as uncharted for me where i played all of the prequels uh or one two and three loved them did like purchased on the day they came out and then all of a sudden the new one came out on the updated console and i i didn't buy it so i was late to the party with god of war and i don't want to agree with josh because the game was fantastic 
I think for me, it hit me at a bad time where I was not in the mindset to be playing an open world game with like missions everywhere. I wanted something linear. And that was my expectation with God of War was that they did open it up. The previous games were so linear and that's what I wanted. So when I played God of War and it was open world, it, it disappointed me a little bit to the point where I blitzed the story and enjoyed it, but then actually immediately uninstalled it and said, I'm going to have to go back one day and play the side missions because the gameplay was fun. The axe was cool. The combat was awesome, but I wanted something more linear. Yeah, it came out in a time where those open world single player games where you're really just constantly like checking off all the boxes. I'm thinking Horizon Zero Dawn, Ghost Recon Wildlands, Tomb Raiders, the new Tomb Raiders are like this, you know, Uncharted, whatever, where yeah. they, they've started to open up more and it's, you know, you're going all over the map, hitting all the different collectibles and every little side mission. And so it did get a little taxing. I think God of War was kind of the end for me where I played it and then I had to take a break from those kinds of games because it was like everything was falling into that category for a while. Yeah. Shadows of Mordor was like that, you know, that's Even Final Fantasy 15 was that way. Final Fantasy 15, yep, was right what, in there. What so. doomed God of War for me is I played it right after I played Red Dead 2. <laughs> and so nothing's ever going to live up to Red Dead 2 for me. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That's that's a pretty high benchmark. So, definitely appreciate that feedback, Josh. Um, the last one we had here was from Cameron. He was brought up Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2, the new ones. And he said, quote, it was EA's dumpster fire. <laughs> what a drag on day one. And Cameron, here's one. I have to agree with you. I, I really had issues with Battlefront 1 to the point where I wouldn't even, I still won't even look at Battlefront 2. I know everybody says that they've improved them and they got over some things, but you had the loot crate controversy through these games. Um, you had some other choices that were interesting as they as they set up the game, like no campaign in Battlefront 1, things like that. So I, I'm more inclined to agree with Cameron on this one. I really enjoyed Battlefront 1 and played it a lot. I think I, I crushed that. Didn't you have, you didn't have Battlefront 1? I bought Battlefront 1 and played it. It just had some shortcomings being like... No, no story mode, yeah. Right, because if you think about Battlefront 1 coming back... There was a Battlefront one from the the past, right. you know. Star Wars Battlefront one and two of the of the original Xbox were a totally different type of game, and so when they announced the original Battlefront one or the new one coming out, everybody's expectations were like, "Oh, it's going to be a new version of that game." And then we found out over time, no, it's actually going to be a shooter. It's going to be a you know essentially like Star Wars Call of Duty, and that's most of what you're going to get. So. Yeah, I played it, and the the game was fun inside playing and getting the Jedis and stuff, but it just, I was kind of stepping back from that straight up just PvP shooter format for a little bit, and so it was probably bad timing for me, but you coupled that with the loot crate pay-to-win stuff that happened with Battlefront 2, you know, where the internet literally just like set itself on fire when EA announced all this stuff and people started figuring out that you could like pay $2,500 and have everything and be better than everybody else or whatever Yeah, the pay to win. That it worked out. It was the peak yeah. of microtransactions. Yes, there you go. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was right at the heart of microtransactions just going freaking crazy. May have been the tipping point. <laughs> I honestly think the way the internet and the community reacted 
that Battlefront 2 was probably the tipping point of gamers being like, no more. We're not buying into this microtransaction pay-to-win BS anymore. Yeah. So I can I can agree there. I, I did enjoy Battlefront 1, but Battlefront 2, I, I because of that controversy, I did avoid. And then it's it's glad to see that they've bounced back, but at the same time, it's it's hard to give them the time of day. Exactly. I, I will not download it. It's been free a few times, and I just I refuse to do it. Even as tempting as it is at times... Like, I have looked at it going, all right, you know, it's been two years, whatever. Um, but I just I just can't bring myself to support him on that one. And I don't think anyone's going to argue with it. Not everyone can knock it out of the park on day one. Some of these games have bounced back, and some have just faded away. But hopefully the experience gives the developers insight on how to course correct and bring us quality titles in the future. Thank you for listening to Geek Catch-Up. If you enjoyed today's chapter, please remember to subscribe to Geek Catch-Up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check out Geek Catch-Up on Facebook and YouTube, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Catch-Up Pod for updates on new episodes every two weeks. You can find links to all these accounts in the show notes below or at our website, www.geekcatchuppodcast.com. Stay saucy, you nerds.